Hello and welcome to Liver Talk, a podcast series from Liverwell that shares personal and professional stories about hepatitis and liver-related news. Before we commence, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening. We pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging, and to any Indigenous people who are listening to this podcast. I'm Paulette Trevina and today I'm talking to Melanie Eagle, who's been the CEO of Hepatitis Victoria and then Liverwell for nearly 10 years. Melanie's soon to depart our organisation, so we're here to have a chat about the achievements, the highlights and the changes that have taken place over that time, both at Liverwell and in the sector. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Paulette. So when you started at Hepatitis Victoria in 2012, did you bring with you an interest in liver health or hepatitis at that point? No, I'm afraid I was one of the great uh, unwashed, ignorant, kind of where even the liver was unknown to me, all its 500 functions, where it sat, the fact that in, indeed it's the largest, you know, internal organ beyond the skin, etc. So I was in that same uh, space, but once I learned of its importance and of the number of people affected by viral hepatitis initially and then liver disease, I was a convert. Great. What kind of organisation was it then and what sort of activities were taking place? Well, we were, as we essentially still are, an organisation committed to uh, supporting those who are affected by viral hepatitis, but now we've broadened that to liver disease, uh, and also providing education and awareness to the broader community in an attempt to change the settings, so to educate people who might be in a position to support those with hepatitis and liver disease and to bring that broader awareness so that people change their behaviours where it's relevant or reduce the risk of acquiring liver disease. Right. And has the organisation grown much over your time? At times we have, unfortunately, still very dependent on particular grants uh, we might have got from the state government or um, from donations and philanthropic, uh, you know, grants in that sense. So we've still had fairly uh, small increases that when they go bring us back somewhat close to where we've been before. We haven't well, we've actually had a bit of an, an increase and we've built our reserves by way of protecting our uh, capacity to go forward. We haven't had that step change that we still aspire to do. But yes, there has been an increase, perhaps about a third. Mm -hmm. And do you think public perceptions of viral hepatitis have changed much since those first days? I couldn't uh, have lay claim to significant change it is still largely unknown it is still largely stigmatized so we didn't do that fantastic change that occurred for the other major blood borne virus although that 
you know, took a long time as well, and efforts of many, that's being HIV AIDS, we've still got a way to go. There are many people putting effort into doing exactly that, whether they're in the community or clinicians or researchers. So we've chipped away, but there's much more to do. Right. Um, one of the highlights must have been in 2016 with the availability of new, affordable and highly effective direct-acting antivirals to treat chronic hepatitis C in Australia when they became available through the PBS. That must have changed the face of hepatitis C for so many people. Indeed. I uh, still repeatedly hear from people whose lives individually was transformed. Uh, interestingly, in the lead up to my little farewell gig, you know, I'm getting messages from people for whom it was transformative. But I'll bump into somebody I don't know and they'll refer to their cousin or auntie, etc. Uh, where it moved those individuals from a life of fear about what would happen to them in the future or a life of being affected by the terrible side effects of earlier treatment, particularly interferon, to a situation where they could contemplate and indeed then experience a cure. And I don't know if the broad public realises how rare that is. We've done it a couple of times across the globe, whether it's smallpox or polio, but usually we don't have curative treatments. You know, mm. you go to your doctor, you might get some good medicine, but you don't get cured and you don't put the condition behind you. And this is what we were able to experience, not only uh, the new cures being available, but then having them made accessible on our general medical listing of drugs that were affordable. That's fantastic. But we still have a long way to go in terms of hep C testing and treatment? Well, we still actually do for hepatitis C as well. We've still got people who don't know uh, that they perhaps have the condition. Uh, it's not being raised with them, uh, with their doctors, and so they're not being put onto these curative medicines. But as you say, with hepatitis B, the situation uh is both a situation of people not knowing, as with hepatitis C still, but we don't have cures. So we've got advances in medicines and they've been improving over the last few years, which is terrific and which can hold the condition at bay largely if it hasn't already progressed. So we do hope to prevent people from going on to liver cancer, but we don't have cures. Uh, we do have a vaccination, however. So really, both conditions should be eliminated through either vaccination or through these curative treatments. And uh, that is the aspiration and indeed the commitment of the Victorian government, the Australian government and the World Health Organization, elimination of viral hepatitis. Mm. So we've run some campaigns like the Be Free from Hep C campaign uh, to promote these easier cures. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Certainly. 
That was a novel and exciting situation where we received significant amount of money for us to run a campaign uh, sufficient that we could engage with uh, people who do creatives for these types of campaigns and brainstorm what might be the best approach to hit the target uh, audience and then to pay for placement in public spaces such as shopping centre kind of reflective signs or in bus shelters, etc. And one of the most fun ones was on the back of buses. And indeed, for a long time afterwards, it seemed like others hadn't replaced uh, these ads Mm. and so our ads were continuing to run. And we had a dedicated website and we had individual stories, um, still have connection with uh, some of those people who provided the individual stories who themselves could talk about uh, how they had been cured and inspire others to do the same. Mm. Yes, so yes, I think it still is around. It's obviously quite a memorable one. Now, our organisation has broadened its remit a couple of times, firstly from hepatitis C to encompass hepatitis B as well, then later to encompass a broader liver health agenda. With the rise of conditions like fatty liver disease and liver cancer, do you think those conditions are of growing importance? Well, certainly, and this is why the organisation strategically decided to broaden the remit in that uh, second broadening uh, as you referred to it, in 2017, we decided to embrace all liver conditions because while there might have been some improvement for viral hepatitis, as discussed, the prevalence of other conditions such as alcoholic liver disease, but most particularly fatty liver disease or NASH, are growing around the uh, globe significantly and now to the extent that perhaps one in three Australians are affected by liver disease and that's the most prevalent form. Okay, so reaching out to cultural and community groups has always been really important for our organisation. Have we we, um, reached out more to those groups over that time, do you think? Yes, I do believe we've had a step change there, driven by two things, uh, the employment of people who are bilingual and dedicated to working with those affected communities that are high prevalent and very uh, keen to do that and adroit in how they make those connections using a range of means, whether it's face-to-face or the community radio or live streaming, just whatever's relevant for those communities. And then the other part of the uh, step change has been to significantly uh, expand our translated materials on the website, as well as to provide animations and other video content in other languages. So hopefully uh, it's seen as somewhere to go for the whole community. Mm. And those digital tools have become increasingly important, haven't they, like the app and the, the website. Um, has, that, has that changed the way that we've done things? 
Yes, I think it's changed both the tools that we utilize to uh, engage with the community. So it's really, you know, what we do and like the rest of the <laughs> world, you know, now our education sessions are all available online and the videos that might be uh, plugged into those sessions, you know, uh, digital, etc. So how we work has been transformed and we've had to become digitally literate uh, as with, you know, others and our meetings with people, etc. But the tools, as you mentioned, that are offered to the affected communities are also digitally and I'd like to highlight the app of which uh, you played a significant part and it is really the only app that we know of globally that is designed specifically for people with uh, liver disease. Again, it's got multiple languages. It's pre pre-populated so that you can plug in treatments depending on your condition. You can uh, track, put in there the questions so that for when your next appointment is with your clinician, you've got those in there and you can document your answers. Lots of exciting things that you can do on our LiverWell app. Definitely. So our community engagement with volunteers, interns, advocates and lived experience speakers has always been a focus and this continues to grow. Has this become more structured over the time? It has. Certainly the organisation, uh, when it commenced 30 years ago this year, <laughs> was formed by people who were personally affected at that stage by hepatitis C and it was a support group. So they, it was the community who drove the creation of the entity and the response at that time here in Victoria and across Australia. However, the organisation became more structured and so did the way in which the community could participate. I think in 2014, we formally adopted a community participation framework uh, similarly, at about that time, we set up our Speakers Bureau after learning how this was done in different uh, organisations with different conditions. And that's gone on from really strength to strength and is called upon by many other organisations to allow for that direct voice of people, which is so powerful in educating people. And also we then can draw on their same fantastic uh, individuals who come forward and are supported to become speakers. We've had at different times, depending on the aspiration, have had trained advocates, many of whom were part of the very critical uh, push to get those direct act acting antivirals approved and some of whom who spoke to a parliamentary inquiry, for example, that was uh, held in Melbourne as part of its whole tour around Australia. So having these people known to us and supported and trained was critical. And many are part of our HEP heroes that does also continue, 
contain clinicians and researchers and other active workers in the community, but it does have people with personal experience of hepatitis who have put their name to the cause and particularly sought to break down stigma and discrimination. And there's more planned uh, in this space. We look forward to establishing an advisory committee to structure the way in which people with lived experience can guide the work of the organisation going forward. Fantastic. Tell me about the liver line and how this was brought into the prison system. Well, originally when I commenced, it was, like most people, just uh, a standard uh, helpline, but very well staffed by our existing staff. And then I learned that a couple of our similar sister organisations interstate, New South Wales and Queensland, were able to have their info line uh, accessed by prisoners and prisoners being such an important cohort uh, because of high rates of hepatitis. So I approached the relevant state government bodies in corrections and presented the data and convince them to add ours to one of less than 10 free numbers that prisoners can phone. And its name changed to the liver line is part of the broader remit as well. Uh, so generally for the whole community, and I must say plenty of uh, prisoners, unfortunately too, will be affected by alcoholic liver disease and fatty liver. So that's the story. Fantastic. You've seen some changes to the board and to the staff over your time. You must have a lot of memories. Are there any that you'd particularly like to share? I'm not sure that I can without getting too emotional, Pauline. <laughs> I've just had the privilege of working to with some fantastic individuals. So skilled and capable staff who've gone about their work in very innovative ways, particularly in the last couple of years as we've been all affected by COVID-19. And with the board who are all voluntary, some very, in fact, kind of without exception, committed and capable board members who provided me with guidance and done so very graciously and we've developed kind of throughout that whole time in fact I've enjoyed a very respected respectful relationship kind of mutually respectful relationship I hope they think I've added value to their interactions and certainly I've gained from them so Liverwell's activities are no longer limited only to Victoria and in cases like the growth of the app are in fact expanding all over the world. How do you see the growth of Liverwell happening in the future? Well, let's not straight forward. We certainly don't want to uh, unnecessarily um, cause tension with others who might feel it's legitimately their space to undertake certain activities. 
part of our choice to move into the other area of uh, liver diseases we've referred to is that there really was uh, nothing being provided to support individuals by and large and so it was unmet need that really was critical to be addressed and so we sought to proactively go into those spaces. However, we do need the additional resources to allow it to come to fruition. And we'll do that by collaborating with others, informing people of that need, you know, presenting the data and the value to the health system of investing in education and behavioural change so that we reduce the downstream effects of people taking up uh, <laughs> unnecessary hospital beds or dying of liver cancer, etc. So there's very sound reason for investment in this area. Hopefully, actually, it will come at the same time as increased diagnostics and uh, treatments for these other liver conditions because there is research uh, being done for R&D by their large pharma companies, etc., because they see this need as well. Definitely. Well, thank you, Melanie, for sharing your insights. This has been great. And thank you for your enormous contribution to and guidance of our organisation. We wish you all the best for the future. Thanks, Paulette. It's been a, a blast and I wish the best for the organisation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Liver Talk. For information, visit our website at liverwell.org.au or call the Liver Line on 1800 703 003.